Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Thursday, February 13th. I'm Lorraine Cáceres. These are today's headlines. The scandal surrounding the sentencing of Roger Stone now growing. Another top government attorney resigning after the controversy. Despite Chinese statements to the contrary, the coronavirus outbreak in that country now growing worse. All this as the U.S. reports its 15th official case of the illness. And a federal judge reinstated a free hotline used by detained immigrants to report harsh conditions after ICE officials had pulled the plug on it. This and much more today on You News, recorded live in our newsroom in Miami. We begin today with new fallout after President Trump's comments regarding the case of Roger Stone, congratulating A.G. Bill Barr for getting involved to reduce the recommended sentence. Democrats reacting as more DOJ prosecutors are expected to resign. Here's the very latest. Attorney General William Barr agreeing to testify before the House Judiciary Committee after President Trump praised him for intervening in Roger Stone's case. A chance for Democrats to press him on the reasons for his involvement. The president's henchman is political operative in this prosecution, causing the resignation bravely of career prosecutors is simply the end of the line for him. And I think we should be more than concerned. We should be very afraid that the president will use the Justice Department and his handmaiden, Bill Barr, to go after his political, what the president considers his political enemies. The president standing firm on his comments. We have killers, we have murderers all over the place, nothing happens. And then they put a man in jail and destroy his life, his family, his wife, his children. Nine years in jail, it's a disgrace. Tweeting his congratulations to Barr for, quote, taking charge of a case that was totally out of control. Some Republicans defending the president's actions. This is just crazy. I mean, there's nothing happening here except Bill Barr, who is the adult in the room, saying, wait, wait, look, look, we got a problem here. Others expressing concern but not condemning his interference. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think any of us should tweet about an ongoing case, but having said that, I appreciate the Department of Justice making sure that their recommendations to the court are uh, seek justice consistent with the law as it's written. And I was briefed this morning about from the Department of Justice about this case that sentencing guidelines call for three and a half to four and a half. On Wednesday, Trump revoked the nomination to a top Treasury Department position for Jesse Liu, the former U.S. attorney in charge of the Stone case. It's the foundation of our democracy that you can't use your official powers to try to preserve your power. And that's what the president is doing today on almost a daily basis. And just a few hours ago, we learned Jesse Liu actually resigned. Meanwhile, the judge in Roger Stone's case has denied him a retrial. Attorney General Barr will testify sometime at the end of March. And when asked if he plans to pardon Stone, the president said he'd rather not answer the question just yet. And in the days since his acquittal, President Trump has been emboldened, targeting his enemies and protecting his friends. Let's bring in Chris Liu to talk about the president's recent actions. Chris is a former senior White House aide to President Obama. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Thank you. Chris, what was your reaction to the Department of Justice's decision to override the sentencing recommendation in the Roger Stone case? I'm concerned, and I agree with Senator Hirono. We should all be afraid 
Um, there's been a pretty bright line rule, uh, certainly when I was uh, working for President Obama, that the president, the White House, does not get involved in ongoing investigations. You never want to create the appearance of a conflict, and you certainly don't want to create an appearance that the president's uh, friends get better treatment than the president's enemies. And that's exactly what this president is doing. Um, he's not just creating the appearance. He's actually saying it's okay for him to be involved, uh, and that's just wrong. And I think all of us as Americans uh, should be concerned about where this possibly leads. And what you've seen over the president over the last week uh, since the impeachment verdict uh, was a, a president not just emboldened, but I think dangerously um, shredding uh, the guardrails of democracy right now. And Chris, as we just uh, heard, Jesse Liu uh, resigns after the president pulled her nomination for a top job at the Treasury Department. Um, just as a reminder to our audience, she ran the office overseeing Roger Stone's prosecution. Did the president or any official provide reasons for pulling her nomination? No, not at all. I mean, some have speculated that um, it's because her confirmation hearing would have been uh, tomorrow, or actually maybe it was today, actually, uh, and they didn't want her to have to testify about the prosecution. Uh, there are other suggestions that the president didn't like the way that she handled uh, not only the Stone case, but about the decision uh, whether to prosecute or not prosecute Andrew McCabe, uh, a former FBI official who the president is not a fan of. But again, this sort of speaks broadly. Um, the president should not be involved in these decisions. I mean, we want a system of justice um, that is completely separate um, from uh, political uh, pressure. And that's not what is happening here. The president is freely putting his thumb on the scale to help his allies. Lieutenant Alexander Vindman, a key witness, as we know, in the impeachment inquiry, was fired as White House National Security Council aide last week. And this Tuesday, the president said the military may seek further punishment. What do you make of this? Again, it's disturbing. I mean, the, the, you know, I worked in the federal government for the better part of 20 years uh, with career civil servants uh, all over the government. These people do their job. They do it without uh, any kind of partisan agenda. And, you know, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman is a decorated uh, service member uh, who simply did what he should do, which is Congress asked him to come testify. He told the truth. Uh, and now he's being punished for it. And, you know, what's happening here is also fascinating because uh, last week, the Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper, even said that that uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman would suffer no retribution from testifying. And now you've got the president of the United States uh, suggesting exactly that. Uh, and so, you know, this is no way to run a federal government. Uh, in the end, you know, we're going to have a lot of people who are going to see bad things, wrong things, and not and not want to come forward with it. Or you're going to have federal prosecutors who say, you know what, I'm not going to bring cases because it might upset the president. Uh, and that completely turns our entire system of government upside down. Chris, and my last question, Democrats on the Judiciary Committee have concerns over Attorney General Barr's decision to create a process through which Rudy Giuliani can provide information to the Justice Department from his personal Ukraine investigations. Is Attorney General Barr's independence and that of the Justice Department now in doubt? Oh, it absolutely is in doubt. I mean, look, uh, anybody who wants to come to the Justice Department with information about wrongdoing should be allowed to do this. Uh, but this is completely different. This is the president's uh, own personal lawyer 
um, who basically got him in the hot water that led to impeachment, uh, who is now going to put forward what we all know are probably conspiracy theories that are being pushed by the Russian government. Uh, and he's going to have a special lane, a special hotline that he can call in order to provide that information. And we now have a Justice Department uh, that understands they need to do the president's bidding. So they'll be investigating these allegations, whether they have any merit or not. And again, it just shows the further politicization uh, and dissent of this uh, Justice Department. Well, thank you very much, Chris Lu, for your time and your perspective on these matters. We appreciate it. Now to the latest on the coronavirus. A 15th case has been confirmed in the United States after a patient tested positive in Texas. That patient now under quarantine at a Texas Air Force base worldwide. The number of cases now tops 60,000. Rafael Rodriguez has more. A surge in new cases of the potentially deadly coronavirus. China reporting nearly 15,000 more patients have been diagnosed, bringing the total to more than 60,000. The death toll now reaching 1,369. The new numbers coming after China started using a new way to check for the virus. Meanwhile, the world is still watching that Diamond Princess cruise ship that's been docked in Japan now for more than a week. Yesterday, health officials announced 44 more cases of the new coronavirus on the ship, bringing the total number infected to more than 200. The emotional strain also seems to be spreading. Every day is just um, waiting to hear more bad news. That's ultimately what it feels like, that you're just waiting on the ship of doom. Melanie and John Herring have been taking their own temperatures, but John's now had two days of back-to-back -back fevers. We're just trying to keep his fever down. He gets it down for a while and then it goes back up. John has now been sent to a local hospital where he is staying in isolation, but he has still not been tested for the virus and the couple doesn't know why. I would rather be back on the cruise ship. Today, perhaps a little relief for some on board. Officials announcing that starting Friday, Japan will allow high-risk passengers off the boat to continue their quarantine at a facility on land. Across much of Asia, protective gear is nearly impossible to find. In Hong Kong, people smashing this car's window to get to the face masks inside. Amid the confusion and mounting fear, there are a growing number of reports around the world of Asians being shunned or targeted due to fear of the new coronavirus. If another person costs, people don't pay attention to it. But if an Asian person costs, people move away, people shun you. Jung says his friend was recently threatened on a public bus. They said, if you sneeze at me, I'll kill you. They said this to someone on the bus. This college student saying she was also targeted. She says when she sat down at a communal study table already occupied by five other students, she sensed something was wrong. They started whispering, started looking at me. And when, within like three to five minutes, they quickly gathered their stuff and left. Rafael Rodriguez, U News. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is remaking parts of its coronavirus test kits that were shipped to several states. According to the CDC, many kits produced inconclusive results. Officials say they will remanufacture an agent that has shown to be inconsistent. Not all states that received the kits are affected. States that were able to verify that their kits work can continue to do the testing process. The other state labs are going to have to wait until replacement components are shipped out by the CDC. No word yet on how long that could take. 
Health officials in California have confirmed a second case of novel coronavirus among Americans evacuated from China. Officials say both patients are being treated at this hospital at the University of California, San Diego. They were evacuated from the Chinese city of Wuhan, ground zero of the, zero of the new coronavirus outbreak. And two patients were then quarantined at the Marine Corps Air Station Miramar in San Diego County. The announcement brings the total number of confirmed cases in the U.S. to 15. About 60 other cases are still pending. Hundreds of U.S. evacuees are still waiting out their mandatory 14-day quarantines at military bases in three states. The popular Netflix series Orange is the New Black may have been responsible for Immigration and Customs Enforcement's decision to shut down a phone line used by detainees to report concerns about conditions. But as Dulce Castellanos reports, a judge's intervention means that the hotline is restored, at least for now. The free hotline for detained immigrants that was disconnected by ICE shortly after it was featured on a popular Netflix series will be restored by the order of a federal judge in Los Angeles. This administration does not rest in trying to find ways to attack our community to take away the rights, said this activist. In a collaborative effort, the organization Freedom for Immigrants and Netflix shed light on the free hotline so immigrants could report abuse, find resources, and connect with family while inside detention centers. This immigrant from El Salvador who was detained says a phone line like that would bring some hope during times of uncertainty. We find ourselves in an unknown place all alone, and a hotline would be of great help to contact an attorney. The organization sued the Department of Homeland Security, alleging the elimination of the hotline was a form of retaliation for their criticism against ICE and a violation of their freedom of speech. It was not only a violation of the rights of a detainee to fight their case with all the information, and it took nothing from the government to allow this line to be available, said this immigration attorney. Although it's a preliminary injunction, the judge has ordered authorities to stop interfering with the hotline. And they shall also restore the free extension until a final decision has been made. In Los Angeles, Dulce Castellanos, U News. A Salvadoran mother's search for her son ended this week in a way she least expected. Her 23-year-old son had crossed the U.S.-Mexico border with the help of a human smuggler with hopes of reuniting with his family in California. But now she knows why her son never made it to his destination. Nidia Cavazos has the story. I don't want to find my son's body. These were Indira's words. A Salvadoran mother who left her home in California in January to search for her son in Texas with the help of the organization Desert Angels. She had last heard from him in September. Before boarding a helicopter for an aero search over the open lands of Falfurrias, Texas, Indira had hopes of finding her son alive. Her son Rodrigo had left El Salvador after receiving death threats. He didn't tell his parents of his plans to cross into the U.S. until he had already reached the border. Days later, as he made his way north, his mother received a location pin of where the smuggler had abandoned Rodrigo, claiming he was too tired to continue walking with the group. Toque puertas, autoridades y 
Indira says, I knocked on doors for authorities, consulates, and they'd only say, well, why did he cross? What is he doing in this area? Can you imagine how you'd feel? I don't know if they have any children themselves. Indira joined Desert Angels in the search for a week, but left without finding a single trace of her son. The organization continued the search for an entire month along with the local sheriff's department. They were looking for even the slightest clue in the fields and trees to help them locate Rodrigo. On Saturday, February 8th, a group of hunters found much more than just a clue. Andaban unos cazadores allá entre el, entre el monte y ellos fueron que encontraron el cuerpo. The local sheriff says a group of hunters were in the fields and they found a body. They didn't know it was a body. They thought it was an animal because it was just bones. They later figured out they were human remains and they called us. Along with the remains, a wallet was found with Rodrigo's ID card and university documents. This is the 10th body found in Brooks County in 2020. It's a county the migrants regularly pass through when making their way up north to reunite with family members. Rodrigo's remains are now with the medical examiner in order to obtain official DNA results. Due to the state in which the body was found, the county sheriff says he cannot give a cause of death, but he at least remains satisfied that he was able to give a mother answers about her missing son's whereabouts. Lorraine, back to you now. Thank you, Nidia. Such a sad story. The special needs students in California attacked and robbed after school. The incident caught on camera and posted to social media has led to the teen's family speaking out with the mother compassionately not calling for a harsh penalty for the culprits. Luis Mejid has the story. He told them to stop, but they kept hitting him. Three teenagers attacked Michael Valdez, a 14-year-old with special needs. His mother is heartbroken. Really, really upset that that kid went over there and just co-cocked him in the side of the face and just kept hitting him when my son's asking him to stop. And people were standing there watching, videoing it, holding his bike. I was really upset. The attack happened at a park near the school. Michael was not only beaten, they stole his bike and his shoes. He turned around and he said, I've walked all the way home barefooted from the school and I said, I turned around and I told him what happened and then I called the cops. What happened to Michael right here in this park touched the hearts of many in the community. Some neighbors got him new shoes, a new basketball and a new bicycle to replace the one that was stolen. The problem is that Michael is afraid to come out. Now he won't go outside. He said, I don't want to go outside. I won't go to that park. So. And that day, he hadn't gone out. He just stays home, plays videos, plays with his dog. Michael's mom doesn't want a harsh punishment for the culprits. She only wants him to learn a good lesson. In Turlock, California, Luis Mejid, U News. More of U News after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The Senate will turn itself into a courtroom. The private border fence is being installed. A police officer and three people were killed inside a Jewish supermarket in Jersey City. U News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. U News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. 
Venezuelan opposition leader Juan Guaidó on Wednesday held a national assembly session in a public square in Caracas, the first session since his return from an international tour seeking support for his claim as interim president. Guaidó has been holding these sessions after he and other lawmakers were preventing from entering the country's official national assembly in January. He called for protesters to take to the streets to raise pressure on the government of Nicolás Maduro and regain control of the legislative palace. A new debate on abortion opened in Colombia after a woman decided to end her pregnancy after seven months. The woman had the abortion without her partner's consent. Colombia allows abortion in some cases. The mother said she was dealing with psychological issues and after psychological evaluation, the voluntary ending of her pregnancy was authorized by a clinic. A spike in cases of dengue fever in Mexico is raising alarms and making health officials start to pay more attention to ways to prevent more cases. But as it stands, the figures in the Americas in 2019 were already record-breaking. Claudia Zurita explains. According to the Pan American Health Organization, more than 3 million cases of dengue fever were registered in 2019 the highest recorded figure in the history of the virus on the American continent. Simply in Brazil, 2,139,000 cases. Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, Central America and Mexico weren't the exception. Data from Mexico's health ministry shows that dengue fever has risen 300% over the last year. In 2018, 12,706 dengue cases were reported and 75 people died. In 2019, the number of reported cases raised to 41,505 and 191 casualties. The rise of severe dengue has authorities concerned. Researchers at Mexico's National University have created a mathematical model that can simulate a scenario and to try to control a potential outbreak. Its goal is to understand what happens to the disease and to know its behavior. With this information, also policymakers can take better decisions instead of using their intuition. Global warming has put Mexico and other countries on high alert. Climate change has pushed the mosquito that transmits dengue fever to migrate to areas that it usually didn't inhabit. The mosquitoes have been identified in cold weather regions like the Rocky Mountains and even Russia. They're not anymore at sea level. They have adapted to high altitudes. Dengue fever is transmitted to humans through the bite of the Aedes aegypti mosquito. Prevents its spread is as simple as eliminating the mosquito in any form, larvae or adult. Fumigation of mosquito breeding places, junk trash removal, use of bug repellent, especially in high season, use of pants and long sleeves, these are the preventive measures we can apply. The threat of dengue keeps spreading and it's reaching high-ranking victims like Paraguay's president and the first lady. Last week, Mexican Paralympic athlete José Alberto Pérez died of the same cause. In Mexico City, Claudia Zurita, U News. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review. Join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.